Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television directly, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it live streaming video from anywhere in the world. Uh, You know, someone wrote once, actually a couple of times, and they say, I take my glasses off to look intellectual, and then I put them back on when I talk to, to that's when I, when I put my glasses back on, I do it so that I can look intellectual. Bottom line is, I am nearsighted. So I take them off in order to read the notes. And then when we go to the calls, I put them back on so I can see the camera and what the camera operators are doing. Just so we can clear that important bit of information up. Every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m., tune into AM820, The Truth, and you can check out Heart of the Matter where they play replays. It's a great AM radio station here in Utah. Then join us for a verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study from 2.30 to 3.30 at the University of Utah. And after the study, we gather together as a group uh, that they call themselves You're Not Alone, and it's for people coming out of Mormonism and looking to meet people in the same boat so they can dialogue and have conversation. You can check all this out, times, directions, etc. at www.calvarycampus.com. On the screen, you're going to see three products Aletheia Ministries offers for your use and enlightenment. Uh, Girl, a video. It's also available at the Calvary Chapel uh, Salt Lake City Bookstore. Be on the lookout for Boy. So Girl is available uh, at HOTM.TV. Also, two of our books, I Was a Born Again Mormon is one. And If My Kingdom Was of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight is the other. All available at uh, HOTM.TV. And uh, at most Christian bookstores, I Was Born Again Mormon is available at Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Christian Gift and Bible, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Oasis Books in Logan, Gift of Grace in Springville, Living Word Bookstore in Twin Falls, Idaho, and Christian Center Books in Park City, Utah. Looking for a great Christian auto mechanic, go to Affordable Automotive. Here's the phone number, 801-262-5610. 801-262-5610. Now, listen, this is not a paid advertisement, and we don't get some special deal on our auto deal uh, problems there at Affordable Automotive. It's just that we genuinely appreciate the work of this shop, their skill, and their honesty. So uh, check them out, Affordable Auto at 4670 South, 900 East 
in Salt Lake City, Utah. If you need someone to talk to, uh, meet with, possibly sit down, have a coffee or diet Sprite or beer or whatever people drink when they sit down and talk to each other, we have Aletheia representatives in your area. Now, these are people who have come out of Mormonism and into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, they know what you're facing. What you need to do is you email us, and then we will put you in contact through email with that person and see if they want to meet you at a neutral place where you know they can get to know you, etc. Now, get a paper and pen and, uh, or a metal plate and a stylus and uh, get ready to take notes on this because we're going to show you our representatives uh, actually around the U.S. and the world. So here we go. I've got no one to talk to anymore. Can't borrow no sugar from next door. And though my thoughts are reeling, there's no one to tell how I'm feeling. I've got no one to talk to anymore. Don't see reason why I ought to let you in the world I live in. But if you try, I just might give So if you saw somebody in your area and you're coming out and you need a friend to talk to, let us know. Write us at sean at aletheamedia.com. I want to thank uh, Mallory Ludquist for that uh, music which accompanied your names. How about a moment through the word? Through the word, through the word. See, there's supposed to be a graphic right there, but I, I messed up in writing it. So I just said, let me do the graphic for you. So that was it. Through the word, through the word. All right. We are working through the Gospel of Matthew. We're still in chapter 16, and we come to a verse of interest. In verse 24, Jesus says to the disciples, quote, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, Jesus didn't just come out and say that phrase that's there on your screen. He was telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to be killed. And old impetuous Peter, he takes the Lord aside and in essence he says, no way Lord, I am not going to let this happen to you. And so hearing this, Jesus rebukes Peter and he says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you savor not the things that are of God, but those things that are of men, end quote. Then he says to the rest of the disciples, the text that we have for tonight, which again is, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, end quote. 
The point of this verse is Jesus told them he has to die. Uh, he knew this and he communicated it to the disciples, but Peter, thinking and speaking from his own flesh and from his own uh, worldly uh, perspective, uh, he discounts Jesus' heavenly mandated um, call and he says, hey, I'm not going to let this happen. It's then that Jesus says to the rest of the disciples, look, if you're really going to follow me and truly be my disciples, you have to learn to deny yourselves, your fleshly responses and reactions and ways of thinking like the one Peter just expressed. And you have to bear this burden of denying yourselves, your will, your ideas about things. And then you have to pick up your cross. That's, that's the difficult thing. And you have to follow me. You see, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he voiced the fact that he would uh, listen to God's will uh, no matter what. But he didn't really want to do it at first. When he was in the Garden, he asked the Father, is there no other way? Meaning, do I have to really go to the cross? His will, his flesh, uh, was to turn his back on the cross while he was in the Garden. He didn't want to do it. But he said, in the face of this temptation to not do it, but not my will, but thine, you know, Father, that be done. This dying to his flesh, he then went and he took up his cross and he uh, died for us. Notice that Jesus tells his disciples that he was going to, that they needed to pick up their cross well before Jesus was ever crucified. And he uses the cross, the cross, as the emblem of self-denial, of doing the will of God rather than his flesh-driven, serve yourself, protect yourself, live for yourself, that thrives in the hearts of man. So here, Peter tells the disciples that if they're really going to follow him, they have to do the same thing. They have to take up their cross and follow him. Apart from this highly moving element of this story, we also notice that Jesus tells them, take up your cross, not take up your garden. Mormonism teaches that the garden was the place that Jesus suffered for the sins of the world and that the cross was simply the place that they put Jesus to death physically like other common criminals. But Jesus mentioned nothing about the cross as the place of suffering and difficulty. He knew that this was just the place Satan was going to tempt him to try to get him to not go to the cross. No, he, in pursuit of God, he laid down his will in the dust. He picked up his cross and he went to his death. That is what he was telling Peter to do as well. And he did this to follow the will of the Father. We do this to follow the will of our Lord. We really appreciate all your support. You know, we have a, an 85-year-old man in Idaho. His name is Lowell. And for the past six years, Lowell has sent me Christian articles in the mail and by email when his email is working. And he and his wife pray for the ministry. They uh, allow God to work in them to support the ministry in whatever way he's leading. And, and we're so grateful for Lowell and all those who are like him who include us in their prayers and they consider us and they think about supporting the ministry because it really does matter. So should God lay it on your heart and only if he lays it on your heart to support our ministry in some of these ways, consider the following message. When the truth is found to be
local news channel here in Salt Lake City interviewed an LDS apostle by the last name of Ballard recently. The content of the interview was pretty good as it had Ballard talking about people with addiction problems getting help. I guess as long as the religion is seeking to reform lifestyles rather than transform hearts, um, addicts getting help is a good thing. All right, That's what he was talking about. But what was highly disturbing about this interview, which we can't show you because of licensing rights, came about in another way. By all appearances, the interviews were done inside Ballard's office, which I'm guessing were at the North Temple Tower there in one of those, uh, one of those office floors uh, up toward the top, I'm sure. And as a self-proclaimed apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you suppose surrounded him in terms of decor in these corporate digs? Open Bibles on tables or on pedestals or renderings of Jesus or possibly a cross or a paper mache empty tomb or something like that? No. What was prominently displayed around Apostle Ballard as he did this interview, uh, and you know, when you're going to do an interview, like if we, someone did an interview on this set, we would make sure that the camera angled on things like the cross, not the horns. We would want to make sure we get the cross in there because that's very important to our message. Well, Ballard was surrounded by a almost life-size bust of Joseph Smith's head on one side of him. And then on the other side was like a two and a half foot golden angel of Moroni blowing his horn. Apostle Ballard Wright. Uh, can you imagine Peter James... Uh, Paul, who literally died for their witness of the Lord. They were tortured and died for their witness, sitting in some office surrounded by graven golden images of angel men blowing horns. I mean, in all that the Bible teaches, Ballard, you scare me. That scares me to have seen that. You could have surrounded yourself with anything. You could have surrounded yourself with the Bible or even even a picture of Christ or something, but you have a golden angel Moroni made up and you have a, a head of Joseph Smith. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, before we go to the prayer, we want to show you one more thing and it's something someone, uh, Brandy sent us and it's on lay clergy. So let's take a look at this and I'm going to read it for you if you can't read it. It says lay clergy there and underneath in the writing it says church provided home, 500K. A church car, 40K. Church provided meals, 12,000. Convincing your followers your church has a lay clergy because bishops don't get paid while you do, priceless. I found that very funny. Uh, and with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, uh, Obviously, I need you, our, our staff needs you, our volunteers, our audiences, wherever they may be, tonight live, uh, here in studio, out in TV land, watching on the internet, uh, now or in the future, Lord, open our eyes and minds to the information so that we can discern truth and come to know you in a personal and in a relationship way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Tonight we cover the third factor that made up the soil which Joseph Smith was raised, and that's the Protestant cultural environment. 
Two weeks ago, we talked about the political environment that Joseph Smith was raised upon. Last week, we talked about the anti-Catholic environment that influenced him. Tonight, we're going to take a summary look at the Protestant religious environment of his day and see how they, how they helped form Joseph Smith's young mind and perspectives. In the writings of Joseph Smith, which Dean C. Jesse of BYU edited and put in a book titled The Papers of Joseph Smith, Joseph said that he had, quote, an intimate acquaintance with evangelical religion and that he became somewhat partial uh, to, quote, the Methodist faith in his youth. Tonight, we're going to just touch on how much of an influence 19th century evangelical Protestantism actually had on Joseph Smith and particularly how this influential evangelical culture actually worked its way into the Book of Mormon. Again, again, you have to ask yourself, were these methods or themes actually inscribed on golden plates, or did Joseph Smith take this information from experiences that he had and pretend it was from an ancient source, if the material was borrowed? He must conclude that, the, or we must conclude, that the Book of Mormon uh, its origins are fraudulent and therefore not worthy of allegiance uh, to that of divine scripture. Now, I have to pause for a moment and give thanks to a number of very dedicated people. I'm a reader and a pseudo-researcher. I seek and compare and contrast and study and think on materials uh, professionally, compile, professionally compiled by other people, more professional people. And I'm not a scholar, and, and I'm not interested in doing any real academic research on my own. I therefore read those who are far more blessed and inclined to do this type of research, and then I synthesize it down and try to provide it to you in bite-sized chunks so that you can sort of assimilate it in your mind. Most of everything I have said and will say about the Book of Mormon comes from some great minds and pens of other people. I thank each and every one of them for their insights, their dedication, and their tremendous sacrifices that they have made to bring forth these works for which so many people benefit. So I want to thank, and who can, we can show you what these books are. Write these down. They're great books and authors. Robert Anderson and Inside the Mind of Joseph Smith. Ross Anderson and Understanding the Book of Mormon. Elias Baudinal and A Star in the West. Fawn Brody, No Man Knows My History, Michael D. Coe, The Maya, Ezra Evans, The Keystone of Mormonism, Stuart, Thomas Stuart Ferguson, A Manuscript, M.T. Lamb, The Golden Bible, Michael Marquardt, The Use of the Bible, In the Book of Mormon and Early 19th Century, Events Reflected in the Book of Mormon, William D. Moraine, Joseph Smith and the Disassociated Mind, Grant Palmer, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, David Pursuit, Joseph Smith and the Origins of the Book of Mormon, Lamar Peterson, The Creation of the Book of Mormon, D. Michael Quinn, Early Mormonism and the Magic World View, B. H. Roberts, Studies of the Book of Mormon, Ethan Smith, View of the Hebrews, Simon Southerton, Losing a Lost Tribe, Sandra and Gerald Tanner, Joseph Smith's Plagiarism of the Bible in the Book of Mormon, 3,913 changes in the Book of Mormon and dozens of other tremendous books, newsletters and pamphlets, Dan Vogel, Indian Origins in the Book of Mormon, and Joseph Smith, The Making of a Prophet, and Wesley P. Walters, The Use of the Old Testament in the Book of Mormon. You can always go back to hotm.tv 
rewatch the show and see that list of books if you want to get some of them. I would challenge any LDS person who wants to seek truth uh, to open them up and read just one of them and then walk away and say the Book of Mormon is from ancient uh, manuscripts. Okay, let's go back 14 years to Joseph Smith when he was born. The nation is new, only 11 years old, and it had severed religious and spiritual ties with its European forefathers. Enter a man who, generally speaking, pretty much popularized some specific cultural practices at Christian gatherings. These included an assortment of non-biblical things that Christians did at the time. Uh, these outbursts included fainting, weeping, clapping hands maniacally, and the precursor to the present-day altar call, which was a thing known as the anxious bench, which was a place repentant sinners would come forward and sit as they prepared themselves to have this outward and highly emotive spiritual experience. The uh, man who popularized those things, um, uh, most antebellum revivals, and that means revivals that occurred before the American Civil War contained any number of these almost predictable, non-biblical uh, elements and, and culturalisms. The general formula looks something like this. First, there was a gathering of generally animated people harboring religious anticipations. Oh, I think something big's going to happen tonight. They all say this large group, something big's going to happen, you know. And then second, some would recognize the existence of their guilt and the sins that they have committed in their lives. Third, they would cry out to be forgiven uh, and free from the bondage of sin in this environment. And fourth, they, there would be this expected and even anticipated emotional response when forgiveness was um, sort of granted or apparently obtained. Now, the Bible does say that those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is the Christ shall be saved. So there is a Bible uh, platform from which these practices drew from, um, Romans 10.9 says it plainly that if you should confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Romans 10.13 says essentially the same thing. How these confessions are seen by God and how the confession is made uh, the way Romans describes it can be interpreted a hundred different ways. To the thief on the cross, there was no anxious bench that Charles Finney introduced to, to Christianity. There was no falling on the ground. There was no clapping. There was no coming forward. There was no public expulsion of tongues. But to him, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What's my point? Joseph Smith took these popular 19th century Christian revival practices that were occurring all around him as a kid, and they were popularized by men like Abel Thornton, Lorenzo Dow, Ray Potter, Eliezer Sh uh, Sherman, and Alfred Bennett, and he thematically included them in the text of the Book of Mormon as if they were a normative event or activity four to 600 years before Jesus was even born. So he takes these practices that were popularized by Charles Finney in the, in the 1800s and he writes them into the text of the Book of Mormon at a time where in the Book of Mormon, Jesus has yet to be born for another 600 years. Okay, you want examples? Let me give you one. 
There's a Methodist camp meeting that was held in Palmyra, New York, Joseph Smith's home turf on June 7th, 1826. On June 7th, 1826, Joseph Smith was only 19 years old. He only claimed to have a knowledge of these golden plates and he had not yet received him according to his uh, own uh, report. Okay, listen. At this particular camp meeting in Palmyra, New York, over 10,000 people attended, most of them in their family units. They pitched their tents with the doors facing the stand where this revival was held and where the preacher was sitting. Around the area where, uh, the of the revival, a circle was drawn, and that circle was supposed to represent the temple. That's what they said. And a preacher named Benjamin Paddock, he wrote a report about this revival and published it in the Methodist magazine of August 1826. In the report, it was said that the large crowd gathered to the farewell of one Bishop McKendry, a Methodist leader who had presided over the area for years and had grown too old to serve in that capacity any longer. Uh, reporting that the departed leader, Bishop McKendry's farewell address, they recorded this thing and listened to the description of it in this Methodist magazine. Quote, in his emaciated and feeble condition, he, meaning Bishop McKendry, spoke of his love for the people and then delivered a powerful message that covered the whole process of personal salvation. Tremendous unity prevailed among the crowd and nearly every unconverted person on the ground committed oneself to Christ. Everybody there on the ground committed themselves to Christ. At the close of the meeting, blessings and newly appointed preachers were made. End from the magazine article, 1826. Now, turn to the Book of Mormon, and you can examine the account that Joseph Smith included in his narrative. Here, a fictional king named King Benjamin is about to give his farewell address to the people whom he has long served and loved. And the Book of Mormon has him say, quote, or has it say, quote, the people gathered themselves together throughout the land that they might go up to the temple to hear the last words of their beloved King Benjamin who should speak unto them. They pitched their tents round about, every man according to his family, every man having his tent in the door thereof towards the temple. The multitude being so great that King Benjamin caused the tower to be erected. And he said from the platform, I added that, quote, I am, not, I am about to go down to my grave. I can no longer be your teacher. For even at this time, my whole frame doth tremble exceedingly while attempting to speak to you. Like Bishop McKendry, King Benjamin expressed his love for the people. He delivers a power, powerful sermon and everybody there, all souls were converted at McKendry's gathering there in Palmyra, 10,000 people, 1826. In the Book of Mormon, the people's response was, quote, not one soul except it were the little children who had not entered into the covenant and taken upon them name of Christ were saved. Remember, in the Book of Mormon narrative, all of this occurred before Jesus Christ even came. And then the meetings ended in the Book of Mormon says they appointed priests to deal now with the people. It's the very same story. A few things were just changed. And throughout the Book of Mormon, you see this, these culturalisms that were prevalent in 19th century Christianity, popularized by Charles, um, whatever his name was, they... They, Joseph, experienced that as a kid, 
and he incorporated those themes into the Book of Mormon. We could give you a lot more, but I'm going to save those to when we actually get into the book and show you those themes. I can, we can literally show you hundreds of phrases that are not biblical, that were uh, established around uh, the early 19th century by Christian preachers that included their way into the actual text of the Book of Mormon. So we have uh, political themes of tyranny uh, that were in the Book of Mormon. We have political themes of, uh, of other things that are in the Book of Mormon, working with your hands, being industrious. We have themes of anti-Catholicism. We have things of anti-Masonry. And we now have the culture of Christianity and the very words that they used, which were not biblical, in the text of the Book of Mormon, all of which was around Joseph Smith as he was growing up. This is just the beginning. We have months and months of stuff coming up, which is really going to give you actual comparative of how he wrote and compiled this book. So with that, let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-801-TV20, so we can take your calls. But before we go to the phones, I have to uh, say something that's on my heart. I don't like doing this stuff. I know that might be hard to believe, but I don't like talking all about Mormonism. My real heart, if you knew, is uh, teaching the word. That's what I love to do the most. Uh, sharing Jesus, teaching people what he taught, what the word says, and helping them understand what it means to have a Christian walk. Um, but we do this because it has to be done. And the door opened for us to do it on television, and so we continue to do it. As you consider tonight's message, let me ask you a question. If you could know the Book of Mormon is a work of fiction and a lie, would that be important to you? If you say, no, I really don't care, I know the church is too true regardless of what uh, the Book of Mormon is, then you're really not interested in knowing truth. You might as well turn the channel and just keep on doing what you're doing and think it's going to mean something in the end. Um, but if you say, I would want to know the truth, I do want to know that if this religion that has taught me is true is not, I would like to examine that and see, then uh, you are a seeker of truth, and God will reveal the truth to you. This is the heart of the matter of things, so to speak, and this is why we go to this effort to bring you this information. We see a lot of people come out because they are seekers and they want to know if their time and the money they give and all their dedication is towards something that's true or if it's a lie. We don't want you to believe me. We don't want you to believe a religion. We want you to go directly to him. You have that right as a human being, as a creation, to go to your maker and say, open my eyes, teach me truth. I want to know the truth. So we, we conclude that as we go to the phones now and just want to remind you that we're not in this because we, we really enjoy this. We, I, there would be nothing greater than for the Mormon church to close its doors and say, we've been wrong, Joseph lied. Uh, we are Christian now. We accept all the fundamentals of the core fundamentals of Christianity. We would praise God and shut the door on this show and be glad to go on and just teach the word. But it's going to take people like you to say, okay, enough's enough. Okay. So with that, let's open up the phone lines. We are going to go to Dean, Fort Worth, Texas, first-time caller on line three. Dean, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I've been watching you for a while and emailed you a couple of times. It's really great to talk to you, and God bless your ministry. Thanks, my friend. Um, I have a question about how uh, Mormonism sort of adds works to salvation. 
And because yeah. uh, I know uh, Elizabeth Smart was recently back in the news, and um, my question is kind of about what happened to her. And uh, I want to make in no uncertain terms that the only person to blame for what happened to her was Brian David Mitchell. He is it is his fault, and it was him that did it. Right. But I believe, if I understand correctly, and I may be wrong, that he came to know the Smart family through Ed Smart, kind of. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, kind of saw a guy that was down on his luck and, and Ed kind of tried to do a good deed by employing Brian David Mitchell. Do you believe that was sort of the process that a Mormon is trying to go through by doing good works and doing good things, and that's how Brian David Mitchell came to know the Smart family? Yeah, I think that's how he came to know him. Yeah. and, and uh, But I don't, I don't, I'm not sure it's the good work. It could have been the thing that was driving... Uh, uh, Mr. Smart to do that, but I could see Christians doing the same thing, you know. Um, the the problem, Dean, that with uh, with Elizabeth Smart's ordeal, which was like you said, horrible, was that Mitchell was once an LDS temple worker. Mitchell Mitchell was just following Joseph Smith's Mormonism. Mitchell was taking on another wife as he was commanded to do in Doctrine and Covenants 132. He wasn't told to, to uh, uh, of course, kidnap a girl, but she went with him, being so used to just doing what she should do, went with him. And, and you can't blame her. She's 14 years old, and he takes her up and he makes her his wife. Joseph Smith took 14-year-old girls and made them his wife. So that's where I think the real problem with that is. And what a shame that that poor girl is now out in France on a Mormon mission sharing the very gospel that, that produced a type of person who would do to her what Mitchell did. Yeah, it, it is such a tragedy. It really is. And yeah. uh, I was just curious about that. If you know, obviously Ed Smart had no dream that would have, that could have ever happened to no. his daughter. But it just seemed like that seems to be like, well, I, I better do a good deed here because I got to work my way towards exaltation. I'm not, I'm not sure, you know. Um, uh, but uh, I, I tell you, it was so so tragic, and I really just wanted to get your take on that. All right, Dean. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Sean. God bless. God bless you. Bye bye. You know, I actually find the opposite true, uh, having been here in Utah half the week for six years and uh, driving around the city downtown, I'm around Temple Square driving by a lot, and I see uh, people who are down and out and uh, who are begging for money, you know, outside. T and, and the majority of LDS, they just walk right by, boom, boom, boom. I think that their uh, love or their service is all geared toward the church. They give to the church and therefore it justifies their heart to treat those people who are down and out like David Mitchell uh, badly. And so I don't think necessarily that probably, maybe Ed Smart's a unique guy and he just wanted to help the guy. And unfortunately it really turned on him. But again, it turned on him because of the teachings that were in Mitchell's head and it came back to bite him. What a shame. All right, let's go to Jeremy in Brigham City. He's a first time caller. Jeremy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, uh, yes, I was wondering about uh, Psalms 83.18. Psalms 80... I'm, I'm, no, I'm no longer a LDS member. Um, I've been studying with all these witnesses. I was wondering how you, how you feel about their beliefs. Uh, I think you've jumped from the frying pan to the fire. Psalms 83 what? Psalms 83.18. Uh, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, thou art most high over all the earth. We would agree. Christians agree. They say that Jehovah is the, 
is the Tetragrammaton. It is, a, it is a consonantal name. It has no vowels. We just say Jehovah for lack of a better understanding of how to pronounce the word. And we say that that is the name of God. And God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You can find other verses where it talks about Jehovah being the judge and uh, being the one who judges. And then you go to the New Testament and you'll find that that uh, person who judges is Jesus Christ. The Jehovah's Witnesses try to make it out that Jehovah is the personal pronoun name of God the Father. Don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah, and it's completely uh, errant. And the LDS make the same attempt in calling, but they make the attempt in calling Jesus Jehovah and, and God the Father Elohim. And so both of them, look at, what was it, uh, Charles Taz Russell? Charles Taz, I'm not familiar with him. Charles Taz Russell is the guy who founded uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And by the way, I've got, a picture, okay. I've got a picture of him celebrating Christmas with a bunch of people, uh, uh, which is really interesting. But, uh, and Joseph Smith, this was a time, let me tell you something. This was a time, um, with Jeremy, when there was a lot of revivals and there was a lot of people trying to restore the true church. Restorationism was a big thing back in the 1800s. Joseph Smith tried to do it. Charles Taz Russell tried to do it. William, uh, I mean, uh, Mary Baker Eddy tried to do it. And all of those groups, they twisted from Christianity that the Bible teaches, and they all made Jesus a little bit different. Jehovah's Witnesses do the same. My brother, run from it. And it's just teachings of men. You're going from the teachings of Joseph to the teachings of, of Charles or William Taz Russell. I can't remember which one it was. Okay. Hey, where are you, what city what are you in? What's that? This, you're in Brigham City? Yes. Oh, walk over. Does anyone know, uh, uh, Derek, do you know the name of uh, the church that, um, it's on Main Street. It's a Christian church. And yes, I do know about that. Yes, I do. I, I've obtained some tapes from there. Good. Go in there and meet their pastor. And just, he's a okay. great guy. He loves the Lord. And you're going to meet a wonderful friend of Jesus. And he'll just say, look, don't listen to men, man. Just go with your uh, relationship with the Lord and the Word of God. Okay. All right, my friend. Thanks right, for calling, Jeremy. You've answered, you've answered all my questions. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Off the air, out of all the books you recommend, which would you most suggest? You know, it just depends on what you're looking for. Um, Grant Palmer's book is great because uh, former LDS, um, and that's an insider's view of Mormon origins, uh, former LDS, he, he lays out just the whole uh, facade of the thing, and he does it in a very gentle way, and even afterwards, he, he remained LDS. Uh, he's a born-again Christian now, I think, but uh, he remained LDS because of his love for the church, but he just lays out, and he was a former church educational uh, teacher, I think at Whittier College in California for years. The man, he just laid out what the truth was. Another one, David Pursuit's book is excellent because David is a technical writer and he literally analyzes these things with such acuity that you read it and you say, what a con job that Joseph Smith pulled. I mean, you go out, you hear Holland up in general conference saying, it cannot be refuted. It is so refuted. It is so refuted by the facts, you know, and David Pursuits, but good. Of course, utlm.org is a, is a bastion of information on this stuff. The Tanners pull from all history, and most researchers who write these books go to the Tanners and use their information to help them uh, su supplement their claims. So any of those are excellent. All of them are very good, but maybe uh, check out... Um, 
Insider's View, Mormon Origin first, and then David Pursue It, and then go to UTLM for all the other type stuff. Okay, Mike from Idaho Falls. First time caller, Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hello, how you doing today? Hello, good Mike, what's up? Well good, uh, just a comment, uh, just thinking about, I grew up in the Mormon church and everything, and I've come about the last few years, and starting to come to my senses, but this is what gets me. Um, if, if you buy into the Mormonism, or the Mormon church, you realize that Jesus failed. He, uh, it, it, I think of the first vision all the time, and Joseph was there, and Jesus, and God the Father. How embarrassed was Jesus? <laughs> you know, he was... <laughs> that is really good insight. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and they had... This 14-year-old boy was going to take care of his business. You know, it just... <laughs> It blows me away. That's a really good point. I, I'm glad you brought it up. I've never really thought. I mean, I've heard before, you know, why do we need Joseph Smith to restore what Jesus uh, established? But it's funny in the terms of that false story of the first vision that Jesus is standing there and, and the father is saying, listen to my son. And the son says, well, I kind of dropped the ball, Joseph. Can you pick it up and run with it now and fix the church that I couldn't establish? I mean, that's a really good point, Mike. Great call. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Take Bye. care, man. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to Fred in Boise. He is a first-time caller and a 33-degree Mason. Fred, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there. How are you, Sean? Doing well. Well, I just wanted to let you know I'm a former 32nd-degree Mason, uh -huh. and I spent 10 years in the Masons and uh, studying all the writings of Albert Pike and everything. But oh. one of the first things we learned when we went into Masons was that obligation almost word for word as you read off. Wow. And uh, so, and, and we were taught that. Wow. And uh, we were taught that our obligation does not interfere with the duty we owe to God, our country, our neighbor, or our brother. Wow. And uh, so that was pretty interesting. And another thing you're taught when you first go into Masons was that Joseph Smith was thrown out of the Masons for trying to make a young man in his non-age, in other words, someone too young, an old man in his dote age, someone too old to know what's going on, huh. or making a woman a Mason. So I just thought that was interesting. I thought maybe uh, that would add some credence to what you read tonight. Great stuff, Fred. Thank you so much for sharing that with our audience. It's going to go a long way in opening eyes. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Two questions off air. Did, Joseph's, did Jehovah's Witnesses church start in New York also? Uh, I believe it started there too. I could be wrong on that, but that's where it's headquartered today. And uh, that is a monolithic publishing company. Man, that's what that gig is about, and their doctrine is so convoluted. I, I can't get my mind around the stuff that they teach. Uh, so, yes, I do believe it started in New York, but it could be wrong. Another question, how do you feel about Jews? I feel wonderful about Jews. I love Jews, and I believe Jews are God's covenant people, and uh, I'm not a dispensationalist uh, uh, completely, but I believe Jews are God's covenant people, and I believe that he's made promises to them and covenants to them that he is going to keep, and that uh, right now we're in the dispensation of the Gentiles, and I believe that God is work uh, Jesus is working with his church before the end times come. He is, I believe he's going to take his church with him, and then God is going to work with his covenant people, the Jews, and the promises that he made to them. I feel that... Uh, uh, they have been blinded now by God, as according to Paul and Romans, 
And I think that their eyes will open when Jesus returns. Hey, what are these marks in your hands? What are these? They're going to weep and say he's going to see them as his brother. Just like when Joseph came out and revealed himself to his brothers and they wept and they couldn't believe that they betrayed him. The same picture for Jesus and his brother and the Jews. So that's my stance on it. Pro-Israel all the way. Don't like it too bad. All right. So uh, this is from Brandon. He says, uh, ABC Channel 4 News. Are you feeling stressed out? So are your neighbors. A recent Gallup Healthways study found Utah is the most stressed out state in America. 45% uh, report high stress levels, and the reason for the stress isn't clear. The uh, doctors who are, uh, they interviewed somebody at the Gateway Mall to hear what they would have to say, and one Lee Burbage said, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to try to do everything perfect, end quote. Well, you know, that's called bondage. That's called a burden. That's like the Jews under the law and trying to be perfect. The stress level's going through the roof. Uh, the doctors go in and say, Dr. Conover, he comments on it and says, we really don't know why the stress levels are so high. We can't say that it's religiously based or anything else. But he does give some suggestions on to help cope with your stress. And the first one is read a book. So there's a number of books that we gave you tonight that you could choose from and read from those. And I can tell you that will reduce your stress level like nothing else. When you come to know the truth and the burden you've been put on to work for that church and to do uh, all this stuff that they tell you to do. I lost an email I wanted to read. Um, it's down there somewhere. But anyway, um, it's somebody asking about depression and how they are a Christian and they battle with depression and, uh, and they wanted to know my thoughts on that. So here are my thoughts. First and foremost, we live in a fallen world. Depression is normative. Uh, everybody experiences depression at some point in, uh, or another, to some extent. The second thing is, is we are chemical. And because we are chemical, you could shoot me up with Benzedrine, and whatever that is, and I'm going to react in a certain way. And I'm going to change because that chemical is altering my chemical body. If you had, if you had uh, diabetes and you needed insulin, you as a Christian would use insulin to help that depression. Now, I am not saying run to the doctor in the medicine cabinet for every little blues moment that you have. We all have them. Again, fallen world. But if you have bouts of severe depression and you, you seek professional help, sure you go to the Lord. But, you know, the Lord doesn't cure every diabetic. He doesn't cure people with heart problems. He doesn't cure all of them in that way. He expects you to go and, and seek a doctor. And if the Lord's going to cure you, he's going to do it through the doctors. And if he's not, he's not. But there's nothing wrong, bottom line, if you need to take medicine for your depression to take it, you know. Uh, so don't let all the um, dogma and all the stigma of you are depressed, go to the Lord, he will take it all away from you. That could be true. But if he hasn't, you seek your medical help and you make sure you stay on the medication until the problem is rectified by, uh, by uh, the medicine. Also, read the book, the only book. Uh, Derek, our cameraman, just gave me this. Uh, read the book and that's the word of God. And I agree with that. Uh, it helps you cope with many, many problems and might help you come to see the, uh, the issues with your depression. Okay, uh, Dennis from Taylorsville, first-time caller. Dennis, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Yeah. You're on the air. 
Dennis. Yes. You're on the air. Are you there? I'm here. You're kidding. No. <laughs> That's kidding because I uh, I just called there because I wanted to see his. Uh, I, I just wanted to get some feedback from from the book that Dorothy sent me, and isn't that great? Okay. Do you know who this is, Dennis? I know it's John. It's Sean. And what book were you sent? Uh, well, I read. Uh, uh, let's see, I read uh, Martin Zender Goes to Hell, and I'm starting to read about partway through uh, How to Quit uh, the Church Without Quitting God, and it's it's a great book. Excellent. So, any comment or question besides that? What's that? Do you have any comment or question besides that? Oh no, not really. I just. Uh, Wanted to hear what he what he thought about these books and and uh, because what, I think they're great. What who thought about them? What Sean thinks about these books? Sean thinks they're probably good. He hasn't read them though, but we'll we'll ask him uh, later on. Is that okay? Well, that's okay. Okay, Dennis. Thanks for for calling the show. We'll talk to you another time. What? Okay. Bye. Oh, Dennis. Love you, brother. Let's off air. It says, before we go to Mark, Elizabeth Smart never gave credit to Jesus Christ for her getting away from Mitchell. But she did, but did, but she did say she went on a mission. Okay, so no credit for Jesus Christ for her getting away. No credit to God, I guess. Uh, it was probably to the church and for the people who helped, et cetera, et cetera. And that's standard, mostly standard operation. Uh, for people in the LDS church who come out through problems. They usually say, I want to thank the church and my leaders, my priestly leaders for their blessings, et cetera, et cetera. Let's go to Mark, uh, line three, first time caller. Mark in Salt Lake City, Utah. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Mark. Hello, is this Sean? This is. Hi, Sean. Uh, I just uh, had, a, had a question. Um, my girlfriend and I, we have been watching you and we go to Calvary Chapel, but and she was she was uh, raised Mormon mm-hmm. from from Orem. And uh, but since watching your show and, and going to Calvary Chapel with me, uh, she's given her life to Christ. Praise God. But her family is you know, she has three beautiful children. They're really neat kids, but they are all immersed in the Mormon culture. Um, and uh, there's even like teachers that come to her house to to uh, teach Mormonism to her kids and stuff, and it's making her very uncomfortable. And I just don't know any directions or any resources. Uh, to, how uh, how old are her kids? Pardon me. How old are her children? Um, well, one's 18. He's out of the house, but uh, the other ones are 14 and 10. Does she have sole custody? Um, no, actually, one lives with his. Her, her, uh, his grandparents, and they're very Mormon, and they're, you know, he was just baptized a couple of years ago, and yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, Mark, it, it's going to kind of go like this. This is my advice, and that is, you and your girlfriend, uh, you keep going to Calvary Chapel. She keeps learning about the Lord, reading His Word, trusting in Him. She becomes the best Christian woman, loving, caring, doting. Uh, giving Jesus and God the credit within reason, not being absolutely out of her mind. And I know that sounds bad, 
but you can, you can push Jesus so hard down some people's throats, they want to vomit him back up. So you're going to do it with reason. And just like Paul when he taught. So she is going to represent Jesus in every action of her life. And those kids are going to grow up and see their mother that she's changed and that she loves them and she serves them. And uh, in time, in time, God willing and prayers offered, we're going to see those kids see the light and come out of Mormonism. Because it sounds like you're so intertwined with husbands and, and visitation and age and, and parents pushing for the church and everything like that, you're probably not going to get it by force. Probably don't ever get it by force anyway. So just, you know, teach her. You, you love her. You, you love her as a man loves the church. Marry her if you're going to be sexual. And uh, you, you, you uh, become the best Christian couple possible to be set an example for what Jesus did for you in your lives. Okay. What, what about the teachers coming to a house and should she just, because I think I, she even told him she didn't want him to come, but I, I think she, that, that she's actually let him come now again. But. Well, you know, I don't know her personality. I don't know what's mandated by the court. You know, sometimes in these court papers, I know somebody who was divorced, and in the court papers it said, you must allow the LDS church to have uh, activity and, and access to our children when they are with you. And she wasn't uh, a Christian. She was a Christian. So I don't know what the court paper says, but if she has the ability, I would say, hey, home teachers, I really don't want you. Yeah, I wouldn't do it in front of the kids. I say I really don't want you here, and so just just stay away when I'm here and with my kids. But if she can do that, I'd suggest she do it. Okay, but she just has to walk really carefully and in love to not. As Christ would. Okay. All right, my brother. You take care. Thank you so much, son. Thank we, you. Uh, we really love your show, and uh, we really appreciate you doing a lot for the Christian community. We really, really love you as a brother. Thanks, my friend. Love you, too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. We're going to uh, an email from Hal. He says, I sometimes, this, uh, they always do this, I sometimes watch a little of your show. You know, anytime they call, uh, if they're LDS. Sean, I've seen your show a couple times. You know, over the past six years, I've seen it a couple times. They're liars. They watch it all the time. You know you're watching it all the time. You know you are. So why don't, you just, why don't you just be a man, you know? Like I told Monson that time, grow a set. And just, you know, come to the truth here. You know, why don't you just stop playing these little games? You watch it all the time, and I just check in, you say, to see how far out you really are. You remind me of Sean Hannity. All you, do is, all you want to do is get on TV and say things that you don't know the least thing about, and you lie about it. And, and, and uh, I listened to a little bit of your show on May 31st, and he goes on, and, and, and then he says, finally, I would like to know what advancement or calling you expected to get and were passed over that made you take this action that you've taken. It's obvious that something like this happened. Uh, you know, I want you to understand, I was offered these positions. They were given to me. I could have climbed the ladder like the phony idiot I could have been. I could have probably been a stake president or something, just looked the right part, played the game, you know, and uh, I would have been as hollow and empty as you are, Hal. So really, my friend, get a library card, read one of those books, you know, hold the book in your hand and call that author a liar when they're giving you the, the, the details right there in print. Uh, these emails are hilarious because they always say, you lie, you lie, you lie, and they never say what I lie about. All they say is you lie. I would like to know what I lie, because if I've made a mistake and I do make them, call me on it and I'll correct it. 
But I don't lie. I tell you what is there, and you just think it's lies because you've been lied to, okay? Jody writes that she has been meeting with the LDS missionaries lately and been thinking about getting baptized. She grew up in the Church of Christ, not the LDS Church of Christ, as a minister's daughter. And her dad left her mom a few years back and married the secretary of the church. And that shook her so badly, she stopped going to church. She's a single mother, she says. And the Mormons came across, and they really were teaching her great things, and they were so kind and nice, et cetera, et cetera. And she says she just started to look a little bit online. She came across some YouTube clips, and she started watching them. She says, I just want to thank you for your program because it brought me back to reality, the Bible. They, true-believing Mormons, are so confused, and I'm so glad I didn't fall into the trap of families are forever and all that crap. Keep it up, Jody, from Phoenix, Arizona. We are so grateful to have any type of influence on people who are seeking to join this LDS church and the false gospel they are taught when they're joining and the false gospel they continually are taught after they have joined. Um, it's sad when you are in a, in a Christian church and somebody in the family or somebody offends you, your dad has the affair, your family gets broken up. That is not Christ. That is not the result of Jesus. That's not his gospel. It's just people. You know, you really shouldn't leave the Mormon church because somebody's offended you. You should leave the Mormon church because you've discovered the truth. You should leave the Mormon church because you know Jesus is the only way and you give your faith and trust to him and you, and you pray and your eyes are opened and he says, get out. That's when you should just get out of that church and, and go and find the truth being taught in a good Christian church. So, you know, these things are sad, but they're part of our fallen world, just like the depression is, just like all this stuff. But the Lord came, he says he came to release the prisoners, to set the captives free. And that means intellectually as well as physically and spiritually in all these ways. He will set you free. I won't. No one else will, but he will. Go to him. Ask him to open your eyes, to give you the truth. He'll do it. Trust in him. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, Gonna break my rusty cage